We are delighted that you've joined us for an hour of inspirational music on Songs of Praise.
Endeavouring to encourage, inspire, uplift and soothe, we hope you are enjoying songs of praise. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross 
Stop. 
I am 
Psalm 21.13 Be exalted, Lord, in your strength, so we will sing and praise your power. Lord, dry these tears. Lord, clean these stains. It was your life to give. Now it's my life to gain. Because I can't pay the price. Sin on my own Give me joy for my sadness And bread for my stones I need your mercy I need your mercy I need the hands that hold the stars Holding me 
because of your mercy, there's no more searching. Waves of mercy wash over me. Waves of mercy wash over me.
shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all It's our privilege to share songs of praise with our listeners on 3ABN Australia Radio. I trust in God wherever I may be Upon the land or on the rolling sea For come what Watches over me. I trust in God. I know He cares for me. On mountain bleak or on the stormy sea, no billows roar. He keeps my soul.
makes the rose the object of his care. He guides the eagle through the pathless air, and surely Oh,
Songs of Praise is a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Join us next time for more inspirational music. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we are continuing Banish the Night by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press 
and is available in print and digital editions online. Continuing Chapter 10, Why Are My People Dying? After 24 days of arduous slogging over mountains and through mud, we reached the end of our trek. We had crossed into Papua to visit the last of the Karamui people. During the last two days, the language had abruptly changed. When entering any new language area, I always asked the name of the local god or spirit. In the first part of Karamui, the people worshipped Korah, but here the god was called Kibi Ibiri, a name which rather intrigued us. As we trudged along, a local man suggested we turn aside and look at a river that disappeared into the ground. Apparently it was a huge stream at times, but only a trickle was running this day. We followed the stream to a limestone hill where it plunged down and disappeared into a yawning cavern. Outside the entrance was a jumble of rocks and tree trunks that had been washed down when the river was in flood. Standing at the entrance to the cave, I remarked to the carriers, Methink this fella place in me headquarters belong Kibi Ibiri. No sooner had I finished speaking than an eerie swoosh, swoosh, swoosh emanated from the dark depths of the cave. If I had had hair on my head, I'm sure it would have stood on end. I even thought I could see the boy's tightly curled hair struggling to unwind. For a few seconds we were shocked into silence. Then someone said, Me think big fella black bocus in me walk about inside. I think there is a flying fox trapped about inside. We all burst out laughing, and it seemed wiser to accept this explanation. Returning home along the same route we had come, we were met by several chiefs. They repeated their plaintive pleas for help. I was anxious to help, but these people were too remote. Being a pilot, my mind naturally turned to a mission aircraft and the possibility of an airstrip in a central situation as a solution. To fly would take only 25 minutes from Garoka, in contrast with one week of arduous walking. After landing at a central point, a day or so walking east or west would bring us to any village. Fortunately, the government intended to construct an airstrip, and my medical report on conditions in the Karamui district served to strengthen these intentions. A level site had already been selected by an administration patrol officer, so I encouraged the natives to plant larger gardens and prepare to help the government. This they did, and a light aircraft landing field, which was constructed some time later, greatly expanded our mission program. On this walkabout, I met the son of the man who had seen the face of Jesus in the clouds. He had now become chief and a champion of the gospel, anxious to lead his people into the light that had shone upon his father from the heavens. Before we parted, he begged me to return. In fact, he said he would allow me three months, one month to go home, one month to prepare, and one month to return with my wife. Eric had compiled what was to me a thrilling record of the needs of the mission field on film, operating his cameras in humidity, dirt, and appalling conditions that would have quickly disheartened a lesser man. Feeling now like hardened jungle dwellers, we finally dragged our aching limbs up the last ridge and stood at the end of the vehicular road, from which point the Land Rover would take us effortlessly home. In six weeks, we had walked 300 miles over mountains and through mud and had administered thousands of injections and other treatments. 
both leaner for the trip. We felt more than compensated for the privations of the long trek by the satisfaction of having helped the helpless. Chapter 11 Challenging Cora and Kibi Iberi Shortly after the Karamui walkabout, I met with my national evangelists in what amounted to a council of war. Should we leave the supremacy of Cora and Kibi Iberi unchallenged in the gloom of Karamui, I asked. Moyi volunteered to set up an outpost at the last village before crossing into Karamui. We promised to obtain medical supplies for him to use on forays into Karamui from his base. We felt this was the best we could do until an airstrip was built there. After settling into his new environment, Moyi visited the surrounding villages with medicine and the picture roll. By practicing the healing art and preaching the gospel, he succeeded in turning many from worshipping evil spirits to serving the Creator. One afternoon, as he was visiting a nearby tribe, watching the women removing food from the hot stones in the pit where, covered with leaves and earth, it had been cooking, Moyi saw the teeth of a human head leering up at him. He reprimanded the people, saying that cannibalism was a great evil. He discovered that this was the third diseased body that had been eaten in the last five days. The people could say only that human flesh tasted sweeter than pig. The patrol officer at Lufa, on receiving a report of this incident, investigated and apprehended the main offenders, 19 women. I believe cannibalism is practiced in New Guinea primarily for ritualistic reasons. It soon dies out when people accept Christianity or are pressured from the government. Acting with typical dispatch in the case of a proven need, the government a year later hacked an airstrip out of the jungle on the Karamui Plateau. This airstrip was open, providing 25 minutes flying time against one week of hard slogging on the track. I lost no time flying an orderly to Karamui, and the people, heartened by our presence, willingly helped build their own clinic and field hospital. Not having a mission plane, we chartered commercial aircraft. I flew in regularly to assist the orderly and other workers posted there. Serious medical cases could now be quickly and easily flown to Garoka and placed under expert medical care. Wishing to see the notorious Karamui people, my wife Mavis and my daughter flew with me on one of my trips, staying near our medical post at the airstrip, while I spent two weeks visiting our growing number of stations. One morning, while strolling around the mission station, Mavis noticed a woman sitting beside the pathway in the local fashion, naked except for a drape hanging from her waist back and front, and holding a string bag or billum, which hangs from the forehead down the back. Inside the billum was a tiny baby cradled in green leaf diapers. She stopped beside the woman, indicating that she would like to see the baby. Proudly, the mother opened the billum, pushed aside the leaves and lifted the infant. With a little encouragement from Mavis, the baby, much to the mother's delight, was soon smiling. Although they could not speak one intelligible word to each other, the warm bond of motherhood drew them together. When the little mite attempted to grasp Mavis's hand, she was shocked to see a swollen and inflamed stump instead of a finger. She tried to express sympathy, but the mother only continued to smile and talk in her own tongue. Mavis pointed to the clinic 
and suggested as best she could that the child be taken to the clinic and have the tiny finger stump dressed. The mother did not move. Bewildered, Mavis called an interpreter, who repeated her suggestions. Still the mother was unperturbed. So Mavis asked how the injury had occurred. The young mother had bitten the finger off herself, explaining that she did this because her two other children had died and she hoped this action would prevent her losing this one. On this walkabout, we intended to give the people further spiritual and medical help, assess their needs and select sites for additional mission outposts. Thankfully, we found somewhat less illness this time. Arriving at Mino Village the second Friday afternoon, we received a rousing reception. The three local chiefs had built two huts in anticipation of our coming. As we came in sight, the leading chief dashed down the trail to greet me, shouting, Abaji, Abaji. I discovered that this word means friend. Attending to medical work in the morning, I noted that since our initial patrol, the people were at least a little cleaner and fewer were sick. As we opened the picture roll, the lisping tongues of these natives repeated the name of Jesus, and their ears listened with keen attention to our messages of the riches of Christ. A picture roll of Kibi Ibiri, the devil, being defeated by Jesus the conqueror, brought hope, and the story of the wonderful place called heaven seemed to thrill them beyond my power to describe. Could it be possible, they asked, that Jesus would help them reach this place? I assured them that indeed he would, and at the close of the service many of them raised hands when asked who wanted to go there. That afternoon the three leaders came to talk. They said they were very grateful. Already they were healthier. Our God must be superior to Kibi Ibiri, or we would not have been able to help them as we had. Then came the expected plea for a Christian teacher. I was perplexed, knowing we could not find enough evangelists, but at the same time unwilling to disappoint these chiefs when the need was so apparent and their appeal so earnest. Suddenly two of the chiefs seized two of the carriers by the arms and jumped up and down shouting, Abaji, Abaji, as they thumped the ground. These two men could be their missionaries, they begged. Each could have one of the two huts already built. The men of the village would shoot cassowaries, large, flightless, dangerous birds, locally considered a great delicacy, and other birds for them to eat. Before their people were dying, now their life expectancy had increased, and the power of Kibi Ibiri had been broken. Holding his abdomen, one of the chiefs exclaimed, Story belong Jesus, sweet too much along bell belong me. The story of Jesus is delicious to me. I prayed about the matter, then I told the chiefs we would send someone as soon as possible. Some time later, we were able to fulfill our promise. The next morning we struggled along the slushy track, once more crossing streams, crawling along slippery logs, and tripping over tree roots. Shortly after midday, someone at the rear of the line of carriers shrieked, "'One fellow man, Emmy fall down. Now Emmy die finish.' A man had fallen down and died, a panting messenger told me. Hurrying back, I saw one of the men writhing on the ground, frothing and bleeding at the mouth. To all appearances, he was dying. However, an examination revealed that he was suffering an epileptic fit, and the blood had come from his bitten tongue. 
He was one of the two whom the chiefs had grabbed the previous day. Apparently, he had been badly shocked, imagining the worst. Using tomahawks and knives, the carriers made a stretcher from poles and bark, and four willing lads transported their companion till we came to the first stream, little more than a trickle, but with banks ten feet high and covered with tangled roots and vines. Carrying the stretcher across this obstacle was impossible, so we threw it away, and the men took turns carrying him piggyback, struggling for two and a half hours through the jungle, crossing small gullies where we had to decide whether to risk the slippery log that served as a bridge or to chance the steep gully sides. Later that afternoon, they wearily stumbled into camp, the sick man still clinging weakly to his helper. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night, written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash. Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Asaph has also written Psalm 81, and this psalm also is for the choir director. And the theme for this psalm is appealing for Israel to repent. Sing aloud to God, our great protector. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Sing a song and pound the hand drum. Bring beautiful music from the harp and the lyre. Blow the trumpet at the new moon festival and at the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this was commanded for Israel, a law that our great God gave us. He established this for Joseph as a testimony when he visited Egypt to punish them, that land whose language we did not know. God said... I lifted the burdens you were carrying. No more did you fill work baskets. You called out to me when in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you, hidden in the thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Listen to me, my people, and I will reprove you. O Israel, you must now listen to me. Do not bring a foreign god among you. You shall never worship a god of men's hands. Always remember, I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt. So open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. But my people took no notice of what I said, for they did not want to know the true God. So I let them go their own stubborn way, walking according to their own foolish thoughts. Oh, if only my people would come back to me, that Israel would walk in the good way of God. In a moment I would crush their enemies and raise my hand against those who would destroy them. Those who hate the Lord would fake submission to him, but their punishment would last forever. They could have been fed with the bread of the harvest and with the honey from the rock hives. I would have made their lives complete.